All right, we've been doing a sermon series uh, called Self Space Less. And, um, you know, it's been said that, that spiritual growth happens the most in our lives when we're going through uh, challenging times. It's that, that quote that Kelly Clarkson just kind of made famous, whatever doesn't kill you is going to make you stronger. You know, that whole, that whole way of thinking. Um, when it comes to God growing and shaping your, your character, something that I've found um, to be true over the years is that of all the virtues out there, humility is the one that, that grows the most when we're just going through uh, challenging, tough times in life. When, when life is going good, you know, when you're at the top of your game, things are just kind of flying along, um, the, the growth of humility in those, those seasons tends to be kind of stunted. But when you're going through it in life, in the low times, that, that tends to be where humility just really flourishes. And there's a man in the Bible that, that I want to look at this morning who understood this better than, than most. He was a man who went from literally being on top of the world, I mean, just the pinnacle of success, to being a man who loses everything. And on the, 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 the backside of losing everything, he actually ends up a very humble man, um, a man who the Bible at one point describes as being the, the most humble man on the face of the earth. Um, you've got to be a pretty humble guy to, to have that title. Um, the, this man, some of you probably guessed who it is, uh, it's a, a guy who's familiar in, in Scripture. He goes by the name of Moses. Uh, he's the, the guy that God would call to lead his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so uh, we're going to dive into this guy's life a little bit this morning. And I'm going to be moving pretty fast. Got a lot of stuff to cover this morning. But let me just start by giving you a little bit of, of Moses' background. Moses was an Israelite. He was a guy that was born to Hebrew parents. Um, he was born during, the, uh, during one of the most turbulent points in Israelites his, Israel's history. Um, the entire nation was under the oppressive regime of, uh, of, of Pharaoh, the mighty ruler of Egypt. Pharaoh had enslaved the Hebrews and was using them as his workforce. And so you have this guy, Pharaoh, who really, you, know, you talk about humility, Pharaoh is the very opposite of humility. He's a guy that's so prideful that he actually, uh, in, in Egypt, a Pharaoh was considered to be God. They worshipped him as God. He would do anything um, to maintain power, anything to maintain control. He was a very prideful, evil man. At one time, um, feeling threatened by the way that his, his Hebrew slave labor had grown, he decreed that all male Hebrew babies be killed in, by being tossed into the Nile River. He didn't want their population to grow anymore, and so he just wanted to eliminate, eliminate any threat of them potentially um, overthrowing his empire. And it's at this point that I want to pick up the story of Moses, um, and I want to look at his life actually from a bit of a different perspective than we would typically uh, look at the life of Moses. Typically, you go to the book of Exodus if you want to unpack the life of Moses, but we're actually going to go to the book of Acts, where the story of Moses is being um, retold by an early church father named Stephen. And the Bible says this in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 20. It says that at that time, referring to the time where Pharaoh had just issued his murderous decree, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own son. So through this kind of extraordinary set of events. It's the whole story of Pharaoh's mom putting him in the basket and floating him down the Nile River, and the little basket ends up there on the, 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 
the house of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses ends up being raised as the grandson of Pharaoh. He's raised in the most powerful, influential family on the planet at that time. And when Moses gets to be about 40, the Bible gives us this picture of the man that Moses has become. It says this. It says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and get this, he was powerful in speech and action. So as far as as culture and society goes, here's Moses. He's kind of right there. I mean, he's at the top of his game. And and now if I'm God, it's at this point that that I'm going to come along. I'm going to show up in the burning bush, and I'm going to call Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. After all, Moses is here. He's in his prime. You know, any immaturity of youthfulness is kind of behind him. He's still young enough that he has um, all the energy and stamina to lead an entire nation. He's in his 40s, and we all know that the 40s are just like the prime of your life, right? (laughs) I keep telling myself that anyways. This seems to be the right moment, though, for God to come along and empower Moses to rescue um, the people. And even Moses is actually, he's seeing this. Um, Over the years, uh, as Moses is watching his his Hebrew uh, nation, his Hebrew brothers and sisters um, being oppressed, a a desire has actually grown in him to see his people set free from slavery. He feels called to rescue them. And so one day, he begins to take some action. The Bible says that he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. And, And Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. This is really interesting to me. See, I've, I've read and, and heard the, the story of Moses preached hundreds of times. And, and I've never seen this side of Moses before that is told here later on in the Bible. See, I've always thought of Moses as being this, here's this timid guy. He, 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 he ends up in the desert for this long, long time. Then God comes along and approaches him in the burning bush. And Moses tries to find all these excuses about how he wasn't God's guy, trying to explain how he wasn't a great communicator and how he stuttered. And here's this, this, this guy. But that's Moses down the road. That's not Moses that we read about here at, at 40 years old. Oh, this, is, this Moses is a much different guy. He's powerful in speech, the Bible says. He's a strong leader. He doesn't lack self-esteem. He senses that God's call is on his life to rescue his people, and he's ready to get the job done, only he's not interested in doing things God's way. He's more interested in doing things his way. You see, Moses, he has this call on his life from, I mean, from the time he was, was born. God was shaping him. He was called to rescue his people from their slavery, but the problem wasn't with the call. The problem was with how he planned to accomplish this. He planned to be at the center of this thing and just do it his way. It was going to be about his wisdom, about his intellect, about his strength, about his powerful actions, his speech. The Bible goes on to say the next day, so the day after he killed the Egyptian, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? And you kind of get the sense that, that maybe Moses is, is riding 
kind of high on the victory that he had the previous day. He probably went home the previous day and he thought, okay, that went pretty good. Uh, the people's kind of, maybe they're respecting me as a leader. My moment's come. Maybe he's envisioning that the Hebrews are going to begin to rally around him as he leads this massive revolt against the Egyptians. So the next day, he's ready to march in. He's, he's ready to be the mighty rescuer. And when he sees two Hebrews fighting, he's like, okay, here we go. I'm the man. You know, all my training in Egypt is about to pay off. I have wisdom. I have strength. I'm, I'm powerful. It's Moses time. And that's Moses spelt with a Z. It's the, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to roll here and save the day. But to his shock, the Hebrew people aren't as receptive to his incredible leadership skills as he's expecting them to be. The Bible says, but the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses is going, well, well wait a second. <laughs> that wasn't part of the plan. You know, the Israelites, they, they were supposed to hail him as, as rescuer and the savior, the knight in shining armor. They were supposed to get behind him and, and he was going to lead them out of Egypt. And instead, they treat him with contempt. And from here, Moses' life goes spiraling down. We learn from the book of Exodus that Pharaoh finds out about the, the murder, and Pharaoh is irate. He puts a bounty on Moses' head. He wants Moses dead. And the Bible says when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Moses' grand vision of being the, the mighty rescuer of his people, goes up in smoke and flames. He flees to the desert where he goes into hiding as a shepherd. And I want us to grasp this for a second, what, what, what has transpired here in Moses' life. Just like that, he is stripped of everything that he's ever known. So his status as grandson of the most powerful person on the planet at that time, it's gone. His reputation as being a, a, a man of wisdom, powerful in speech and action, gone. All the wealth that he had as, as the grandson of Pharaoh, you know, access to whatever he, he wanted, sleeping in the most luxurious sheets and linen, um, whatever he wanted for food, available at the snap of a finger, all that, that is just, it's, it's gone. Moses goes from having everything to having nothing. In fact, he becomes so desperate that he becomes a shepherd, a, an occupation that the Bible describes in another place as being detestable to the Egyptians. Moses had failed on just about every level. His calling was that of a deliverer, but here he is. His circumstances are, are offering zero support for that calling. Moses, Moses is literally and spiritually in the worst desert of his life. But it is at this point in Moses' story where God's real training program begins to happen. And it's, it's much different than any training program that, 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 that men and women would, would come up with for him. Moses is about to go into God's school of humility. And God is about to teach him some of the most important lessons that he'll need to learn if he's ever going to be the leader, if he's ever going to be the man, if he's ever going to become the person that God is shaping him to be. And this next verse in the book of Acts, um, it, it, it starts off with just five words. And these five words are kind of like, you know, they're, they're just 
transition words. They're kind of setting up the next scene in the story. And, and uh, they, they're, I mean, they go by pretty quick, but they're words that speak volumes about how important it is to God that we learn humility. The Bible simply states, it says, after 40 years had passed, Moses was in God's school of humility for 40 years. Most likely, he didn't even know he was in school. He probably just thought that he was living uh, a life as a fugitive option or a fugitive shepherd, and that was the only option that he, he had. I was about, well, I was 32 years old when I would say that, that I really first entered God's school of, of humility. Um, and like Moses, I wasn't looking for it. It just kind of happened. Uh, some of you have heard the story, but I'll tell it again. Um, I was in my 20s, um, or in my 20s, I had, I, I was just this, this prideful young pastor. Um, I grew up in a home that believed to, that my, my, my home, my family situation, they believed that being a pastor was the highest calling in life. And uh, that message, although always kind of indirect, was that, that pastors were somehow better than, than everybody else. Uh, two weeks ago, I was with a lot of my family, extended family, and I, I was just shocked all over again at how the message was just indirectly being, being spoken. And so when I graduated Bible college, I had this, this head stuffed with knowledge, and I had a heart that was just stuffed with pride. I was about to launch out into the world as God's gift to humanity. And I, I really believed that, that I was the man, and, and, and that there was something special about me, almost as if God would be missing out if he didn't choose to work through me to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in this world. But then 10 years into things, in the fall of 2007, I found myself without a job, without any direction to go in life, um, without any money to pay the mortgage, that the bill was coming up quick, debt was piling up, along with incredible tension in my marriage. I wanted to be a pastor, but, but God had a completely different plan. And like he did with Moses, he, in his grace, provided me an out. And, and it wasn't as a shepherd, but it was, it was a job um, that at the time, I considered to be below me. A sawmill had offered me a job making about 22 bucks an hour. And, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't often, it doesn't often go into the emotions, that what, what's going on in the soul and some of the characters in the Bible, unless you're like reading David in the Psalms. But there's not really a whole lot of information about what's happening in the soul. But, you know, I was thinking about Moses and, and and, and what kind of emotions he must have felt in those first few months as a shepherd. And, and I think I have a pretty good idea. You know, if he went through anything like I did, he was overwhelmed with discouragement. Um, he was questioning everything that he thought he knew about God and everything he thought he knew about the calling that God had on his life. You know, he probably went from questioning God to being angry with God, to being delusioned with, 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 with who God is. And then there would have been all the personal stuff going on. He would have been appalled at how great his pride had become. He would have been disgusted at his self-righteous attitude towards his fellow workers, his lack of compassion, his lack of love, his lack of vision. And then depressed as the weight of all of this just kind of clung to him like, like some kind of dark, heavy blanket. It's not a fun place to be if you've ever been there before. 
For me, I was tempted, like so many people often are, to, to believe that because life had become so hard that it also meant that God had somehow abandoned me, given up on me. But in reality, what it meant was that God had simply changed the circumstances that he was using to shape me into becoming more like him. He was preparing me for whatever the next step was going to be in my journey. And I didn't know it, but he had me in this school of humility. And I certainly have not um, even come close to arriving when it comes to humility. You're here in week one. I, I freely confess, I am a proud man who's seeking to become humble by the grace of God. But I do want to share a few of the lessons that get learned in the school of humility. And, and I just got to warn you, your pride, the pride that's in you, will resist each of these lessons. Your pride is going to adamantly refuse to believe that any of these points I'm about to make are true. One of the first lessons that gets learned in the school of humility is that I'm not as important as I'd like to think I am. You know, something crazy happened when I stopped pastoring this church that I was a part of way back in the day. God kept building his church. In fact, the church that I had been a part of, uh, things actually got a lot better when I left. Uh, new leaders started stepping up and getting engaged. I mean, they launched some crazy, awesome uh, new ministries. People were getting connected who had never been connected. And that's a tough blow to the ego. Why? Because, because we like to think that we are just indispensable, that without us in the picture, everything's just going to fall apart. The humble person, though, they just don't see things that way. They, it's with utmost sincerity that the humble person, they just don't believe that they're that, that important. You know, uh, the, over the last 20 years, one of, the, uh, one of the, the most read, if not the most read leadership book, um, is a book called Good to Great. It's written by this guy named Jim Collins, and uh, Jim Collins and his leadership team, or his team of researchers, what they were doing is they decided, okay, we're going to go and just do a ton of research on hundreds of companies, and what, we're gonna, what they're trying to dig for was uh, just some, some principles around companies who would go from good to great. They went from mediocre to being amazing companies. And as they're doing all this research, they actually didn't find a whole lot of companies that had gone from good to great. But in the companies that had gone from good to great, they noticed something about all the, the, the leaders of these companies. The leaders of these companies all had two things. First thing that they all had is they all had a professional will or resolve just to do whatever it took to accomplish the vision that they had. And the second thing they had, surprise, surprise, was personal humility. And so as, as Collins and his team are, are, are asking questions with these leaders and trying to figure out what's going on, they were surprised at how these leaders just didn't see themselves as important. These leaders were, would constantly deflect. They would say, well, it's because of the circumstances that are going on in the economy. Or they would say, yeah, things are going good here, but that's because of the team that we have over here. They would just deflect, 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 because they sincerely didn't think that they were that important to the success of the organization. They, did, they thought it was about everybody else. And when Moses was young, back in his 40s, he thought it was all about him. He was the rescuer. But when God comes calling again 40 years later, after he's been through the school of humility, Moses is humming a much different tune. You might be familiar with the scene. God calls out to him from the burning bush. 
God tells Moses it's time to go lead people out of, out of Egypt. And what does Moses say? He doesn't say the things he would have said 40 years earlier. He doesn't say, okay, God, it's about time that you, you, you call me out. God, my, my gifts and my talents have just been wasting here in the desert as a shepherd. He doesn't say any of that. In fact, what he says is this. He says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You see, Moses has gained a much better perspective of himself. He's going, he's like, God, really me? Like, I'm the best that you can come up with for the job? Isn't there somebody else out there? You see, he's learned, he's learned humility. He's learned that he's not as important as he thinks that he is. Another lesson that gets learned from the school of humility is I'm not as right as I'd like to think that I am. You know, I remember back in the sawmill just all, uh, always thinking that my way of doing things was the right way, that the best way to honor God was to commit to a life of vocational ministry, working in a church or some kind of ministry, doing something like that. But the sawmill changed all that. Actually, I would say it wasn't, even, it wasn't really the sawmill that changed all that. It was the people that I was working with in the sawmill. Um, I had this guy on my crew. His name was James. He was the longest serving guy in the sawmill. He was somewhere in his upper 50s. Um, he started working um, in the sawmill when he was 17 years old. Uh, James was a Christian guy. He became my ride into work. Um, I'd start off every morning at like 5 o'clock, 5.30 in his, his old pickup truck listening to these old country western uh, gospel tunes. And, and as I got to know this guy, I was just amazed at his love for Jesus. He just loved Jesus. He was devoted to Christ. Not only was that, he was devoted to seeing his community transformed. And not only that, he was actually having more of an impact for the kingdom of God as a sawmill worker than I was having as a pastor. Had I ever been wrong about vocations that matter? You see, prior to the school of humility, Moses, he had his way of doing things. He thought his way was right. If he needed to murder someone to rescue people, then so be it. But his posture changed quite a bit after he went through this school of humility. On one occasion, um, his brother and sister are upset at Moses. They're complaining about his, his, some of his, the decisions he's made. They think that he's wrong. Um, they begin to bring these false accusations against him. They, they, they are, are going off about how they think Moses has this big ego. And, and just listen to how things went down. It says in the Bible, Miriam and, and, and Aaron, Moses' siblings, they begin to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Apparently, it wasn't okay in their mind to marry a Cushite. How has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this, and here's the, the line about his humility. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Now, I don't know if you caught what's missing in this little episode, but if Moses had been a proud man like they were accusing him of being, if the decision that he made uh, to, to marry this woman, if, if he's going, man, I'm, I'm right, you're all wrong, you know, there would have been some kind of little interchange there. He would have spoken up. He would have defended himself. He would have given his siblings a piece of his mind to let them know that he was right and they were wrong. But you don't read any of that here in this text. You see, something about pride is pride is all about self. It's about elevating me. It, it, and so when someone begins to question me, 
falsely accuse me, belittle me, or have a different opinion than me, what does the proud person feel the irresistible urge to do? The proud person has to defend and, and protect self. Pride says, I have a right to be heard because by golly, my opinion, what I have to say, my reputation, it's also very important. It's also very right. And so, blah to the world. A humble person, though, does what Moses does. Humble, humility says, I don't have to prove that I'm right. Instead, what I'll do is I'll just remain calm and cool, and I'm, I'm okay with letting God deal with, with that. You know, I was thinking about this in light of, of all the opinions that are flying around these days. Has anybody else noticed that besides me? If you haven't, just go on the Ferndale Neighbors page for about five minutes or go on any uh, of the 24-hour news cycle for about 30 seconds and you'll see that opinions are flying all over the place. Everyone has to prove that they're right and that everybody else is wrong. And it's actually become pretty toxic. In, in the kitchen at my house, we have words written on our whiteboard um, from the movie Wonder. And it's a quote that simply states, when given the choice between being right and being kind, choose kindness. And then below that is the verse, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others as better than yourselves. You know, you don't have to be right all the time. Practice humility. Choose to listen to the other side. Have the posture of a learner, someone who knows that they have a long, long way to go. And then the last lesson as we're wrapping up that gets learned in the school of humility is that I'm not as strong as I'd like to think that I am. Prior to my time at the sawmill, I always saw, I, I, I saw pastors as being the strong ones. We were the ones that had the rock-solid character, uh, the guys who were always doing the right thing, laying down our lives for everybody else. And, and you can see just the, how self-righteous, prideful, I mean, that's some arrogant stuff. But that was where my heart was at. And, and that whole self-righteous pedestal that I put myself on crumbled apart pretty quick in the sawmill. You know, I saw guys that were sacrificing for their families in ways that I'd never seen guys sacrifice. And one guy that I'd come to know um, that wasn't a Christian was kinder and more generous than I'd ever been. He donated 25 hours of his time one weekend to help me switch out the motor in my van, and he adamantly refused to let me pay um, him anything. Um, then there was the way that my coworkers would just show up day in and day out um, with, with a consistent, dependable character that I had never, ever seen before. You know, today, I get really uneasy whenever people start to put me or any other pastor, church leader up on a pedestal. Man, if I see that happening, I'm trying to climb off that thing pretty fast because I, I, I know that I'm no different than anybody else. I'm weak. I need Jesus. I can't do anything without him. I believe it when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's like zilch. Nothing. Zero. Without him. Nothing. Moses, he, he learns this lesson that he's not as strong as he thinks he is. Um, later on, after he had led the Israelites out of Egypt, um, they're all, all the Israelites are there out in the wilderness, and, and God is giving Moses instructions to pass on to the Israelites. And so Moses, he's giving them all these different instructions, and in these instructions, he's, he's telling them, hey, when you get to the promised land, don't forget God. Don't forget what God has, has done for you. 
And then he says these words. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Moses had learned this lesson, and he wanted everybody else to learn it too. You're not as strong as you think you are. You know, everything you have, all your wealth, all your accomplishments, you know, whatever kind of positive character you have, love or compassion or or kindness, it's not because of you. It's because of God. It's all because of God. And, And oh, how we have forgotten this as a nation. We've forgotten this. You know, we think that everything we have is because of us. It's not. You know, the freedom that we have is because of God. The wealth that we have is because of God. The innovative ideas, the creativity, the the generosity, the compassion, the rights, any strength that we have, it's all because of God. It's because of the grace and the blessing and the mercy of God. And when we forget that, you know what we do? We move from a posture of humility to a posture of pride. Humility says, no, I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm actually, actually weak. It's all because of Jesus. I need Jesus more desperately than I'll ever know. And you might be sitting there going, okay, well, Rich, man, that's going to really mess me up if I start thinking that I'm not as important as I think I am. I don't, I'm not as right as I think I am. I'm not as strong as I think I am. Rich, that's going to do a number on my self-esteem if I really start to believe all that. And you know what? You're exactly right. It will do a number on your self-esteem, which is actually what God is after, because what he wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in my life is he wants us to live lives that, that, that in humility we recognize, okay, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that important. Jesus, it's, it's all about you. Jesus, you're worthy of all honor, all glory, all power, all praise. It is all you, Jesus. He wants us to live lives where we don't go through life like kind of posturing and, and, and going, I'm the one who's right all the time. He wants to go through us to go through life with the humble heart of a learner looking to Jesus, going, I mean, I have so far to go before I become like him. I want to learn. I want to grow. I need to change. He wants us to go through life with a heart that goes, okay, I it's not about me being strong. It's about him. It's about his strength. It's about his glory. It's about his beauty. It's about, it's about him working in the middle of my weakness to make his name great and glorious. And when you get to that place, it, it, it's incredible what God does. I, it does. I love how, how Moses' time in the school of humility concludes. Listen to this. The Bible says, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at the end of his time in the school of humility, 40 years later, he learns the most important lesson of all. When you have a heart that is humble before God. It's in that place that God shows up. God shows up and he speaks to Moses. He calls him out. He begins to work in his life in, in a way that he 
he, he could never have dreamt God would ever do. God shows up. He learns the lesson that God, that he opposes the proud, yes, but he draws near. He gives grace to the humble. Let's be people that when we find ourselves in those situations that we're going, maybe, maybe you're going, man, I, I think I might be in the school of humility right now. You know, let God shape in you just this, this sense of his importance, his worth, his strength, and let him shape within you a heart of humility that, that just lives a life that is all about him. It's all about him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to ask this morning that God, uh, Lord, you, you would come and speak to us. And uh, God, I, I know that this morning there are probably those in this room that, that maybe they're going, I think I might be in that school of humility. I didn't see it that way before, but Lord, I don't know what, where they're at. Maybe they're in a place of just discouraged or maybe they're disillusioned with you. God, I don't know what, what's going on, but Lord, I pray that Jesus, regardless of where their soul is at right here in this moment, Lord, I pray that, God, they would find themselves beginning to turn to you, to look to you, God, to trust you. God, whatever the circumstances look like, maybe they're like Moses, God, and the circumstances that they're in, God, they don't offer any confirmation whatsoever to the call that they thought you had put on their life. But God, I pray that regardless of all that, that God, they would find their heart in a place of saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I'm still going to follow you. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to be satisfied in you. I'm going to make you the center of everything that I do. God, just, I pray that you would encourage people this morning. God, for that, that man or woman or student, God, that's just discouraged this morning because of whatever's going on, God, I pray that you would encourage them, God, on this journey that they're on. And God, I pray that you would shape within us, God, a heart of humility. God, that's a dangerous prayer to pray. God, I know, God, I know the lengths that you will go to, God, to root pride out of our lives. God, it's so worth it. And God, I, so God, I pray that, God, uh, we, would, we would so long to be like you, so long to have humble character like you, that, that Jesus, God, we would pray that prayer. God, do whatever you got to do to root pride of, out, out of my life. And Lord, I pray that, that God is a church, that, Lord, we would reflect your humility, God, that we would point people to you, that, God, Everything that we do, Jesus, it would be about your great name, about your kingdom. And God, I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen.